Please hello and welcome to Listen, I Made a Hat. I'm your host, Sheila O'Neill, and in this episode we'll be discussing Saturday Night, the first professional musical that Sondheim wrote, although it wasn't produced until decades after its planned production date. The show takes place in the 1930s of Brooklyn, New York. In the first scene, a group of boys are sitting around on a Saturday night and calling girls, trying to get some last-minute dates. The only members of the gang who aren't seeking girls are Bobby, the youngest kid who claims he's already got a date with an older married woman, Hank, older than the rest and already married, and the show's main character, Gene. Gene isn't worried about getting a date because he's got something else on his mind. Status. Gene has a low-level position in the stock market, and he wants to get wealth and class. While Gene is telling his friends about Montana Chem, a stock he thinks they should all invest in, his obnoxious cousin drives up in his fancy car. Gene's cousin has the same name as him, Eugene Gorman. So the gang calls Gene, Gene, and Eugene, Pinhead, just to keep things straight. Pinhead has stopped by to ask Gene to watch his Pierce Arrow while he's on vacation. Gene, eager to get behind the wheel of the car, agrees. While his friends go to the movies, Gene goes party crashing at the Plaza Hotel. He tries to sneak his way into the party, but he can't get past the lobby, where he meets a pretty rich girl named Helene Forrester. The two of them dance in the lobby and hit it off. I feel fine, I'm aglow with the Sunday shine, could I be falling in? After Jean drops her off in his Pierce Arrow, he rushes back home to tell his friends about the wealthy southern belle he met at the plaza. But his bragging comes to an end when Helene shows up at the house, now missing her southern accent. Jean had dropped his driver's license, and she had come to return it. At this point, they both discover that Eugene Goulding Gorman III is Jean Gorman, and Helene Calhoun Forrester is Helen Fogel. Neither of them are from Park Avenue or Marigold Meadows. Both are party crashers from Brooklyn. They're both a bit disappointed, but after a dance together, they make plans to go for a drive the next day. And so, one day later, pretending to be rich once more, Jean has taken Helen to an expensive Manhattan apartment. Helen isn't particularly interested in the wealth charade this time, but Jean is excited to look around at what might be his future apartment in his mind. He even has a dream ballet about the gracious living he could get up to in a place like this. But the fantasy crashes around him as his friends, who have tagged along and gotten tired of waiting in the car, come upstairs. Their presence is enough to make the realtor understand that Jean is not the wealthy gentleman he pretended to be. Once the gang is out of earshot, Jean attempts to mend his damaged pride by showing sincere interest in the apartment, to the point where he really puts down a deposit, using the money he had pulled from his friends to invest in Montana Chem, sure that in just a few weeks' time he'll be able to afford the place for real. But, since he just spent the money he was going to put into the market, Jean has to borrow money on his cousin's car so he can still invest in Montana Chem. As the stock keeps going down, Jean's loan runs out, and he's forced to sell the car still convinced he'll be able to buy it back before his cousin returns. But Pinhead comes home early, and is not thrilled to find his Pierce Arrow missing. Act 1 closes with Pinhead calling the police to report a stolen car. The beginning of Act 2 is something of a farce, and I sincerely hope I'm able to explain it properly. Here goes. The gang is making plans for another Saturday night when Gene shows up at the house. After three days of sleeping at the Y, he's come back for his coat and tails. When the lone shark comes looking for him with a detective in tow, Gene rushes out. His friends cover for him, and the lone shark leaves, but the detective continues to search. Pinhead arrives, asking if Gene has turned up yet, and Gene comes back in, having seen the lone shark's cab pulling away and thinking the coast is clear. 
At this point, the detective comes back into the room and asks who the two new people are. Pinhead answers, I'm Eugene Gorman, at which point the whole gang starts exclaiming that this is the man the detective is looking for. Since the detective does, in fact, have a warrant to arrest a Eugene Gorman, he takes the screaming Pinhead away. Helen and Jean make a deal. They'll spend the night going to nightclubs all over the city and spending Jean's ill-gotten gains. But after the night is over, Jean will turn himself in and get his cousin out of jail. But as Jean's fake extravagance clashes against Helen's annoyance, they fight until Jean eventually leaves the club, alone. Helen meets up with the gang at the jail and tells them that Jean isn't coming. But she's proven wrong when Jean arrives after all. He's seen that Helen is more important to him than his delusions of grandeur, and he's come to turn himself in. But before he does, the real estate agent bursts in looking for Jean. The previous tenant of the apartment wants it back. With the refunded deposit, Jean can pay off the worth of the car. But since there won't be a judge available until Monday morning, he'll have to spend the night in jail in order to let Pinhead out. As a final act of his fake wealth, he signs the jail registry as Eugene Goulding Gorman III, which impresses the officer enough that Jean is let off the hook, and the curtain closes. Sondheim's later career is defined by a pioneering spirit, taking Broadway to new places and not being afraid to do something that audiences might not be ready for. But this groundbreaking trend definitely began after Saturday night. While Sondheim has never been his own librettist on a professional show, he has chosen to work with some wonderful playwrights on shows with complex, multi-dimensional characters. Saturday Night has a very well-written book, and the characters of the show are charming and have some genuine aspects to them, being based off of people from the writer's past. But each of them has a defining character trait that can basically describe them in one word. Jean is ambitious. Helen is practical. Pinhead is obnoxious. And the members of the gang are so indistinguishable that in a recent production of Saturday Night by the York Theatre Company, when one of the actors fell ill and had to miss a performance, they didn't replace him. They simply split the characters' lines up amongst the others. As an audience member, I can say that this was hardly noticeable, even to someone familiar with the show. Even when writing for these interchangeable characters, Sondheim manages to produce some truly worthwhile songs. So Many People, Saturday Night, and A Moment With You are among the several songs in the show that hold up all these years later. Overall, the score has merit, but it is less distinctly Sondheim than his later work, and Sondheim himself couldn't get through the Saturday Night section of his collected works without pointing out about a dozen sins in the lyrics. One of the show's flaws was pointed out to Sondheim by fellow composer Harold Arlen. One night, Sondheim was at the same party as Arlen, and during the evening, he was asked to play some of his songs. Sondheim went up to the piano and played three songs from Saturday Night. He sat back down to applause, feeling confident about himself, and Arlen said to him, Don't be afraid not to write a blockbuster. The comment humbled Sondheim, and made him think of Arlen's number Asleep in B, which is a slow, simple song that doesn't get the audience on its feet, and is all the better for it. Much of the score of Saturday Night is trying too hard to impress, and taking Arlen's advice to heart is probably, at least in part, how Sondheim was able to write songs like Sorry Grateful from Company, and the title number from Anyone Can Whistle, that bring heart and warmth to a show, instead of being a platform for lyrical backflips. Of course, Saturday Night is still a Sondheim score, and it's definitely a professional piece of work. The clever rhymes are a significant step up from Sondheim's Hammerstein Project shows, and while he is still a young lyricist trying to show off at some points in the score, many of his inner rhymes are not only clever, but also subtle, and able to move the lyric along in the way a good inner rhyme should. The song In the Movies is a predecessor of the many multi-scene Sondheim songs to come after it. The song switches between the boys bickering over the financial details of the date night, and the girls looking at the upcoming movies and sharing their differing opinions about cinematic fantasies. I pay, I pay, and don't forget the Hershey bars. Stella, Dallas, and 
The different musical themes and many characters in the song are tied together with a common topic, in this case, the evening at the movies. This song style is further developed in Sondheim's later shows, one example being A Weekend in the Country from A Little Night Music, where a simple invitation to the country prompts a song that is truly, as Hammerstein said a song should be, like its own one-act play, as the several characters of the show have their varied reactions to the situation. Since it was set in the past, Sondheim had a chance to explore pastiche in Saturday Night, with the songs A Moment With You and Love's a Bond. Despite some minor anachronisms in A Moment With You, both songs do an excellent job both of capturing the time period and of being good original songs in their own right. Sondheim took this talent for pastiche to the next level with the score of Follies, where much of the score is reminiscent of a bygone era and at the same time representative of Sondheim's voice. When the musical was finally produced, Sondheim didn't want to make too many changes to the score. He considers the early work to be the professional equivalent of his baby pictures. And you don't touch up baby pictures, you're a baby. However, one new song was added to the show, Montana Chem, a song the gang sings about the stock they've all invested in as it continues to go down. The song serves a significant purpose, as the failing stock is a major element of the plot, and without this song, it isn't mentioned at all in the score. What's impressive about the song is how well the mature Sondheim is able to mimic his younger self. The song fits into the rest of the score nicely, with the same type of occasionally overclever rhyming, and even an overlapping round of the last line of the song, similar to the use of the same device in the show's title what number. Can you do on a as an upper-class Manhattanite, Sondheim wasn't sure at first if he'd be able to capture the world of working-class Brooklyn. But unlike the Hammerstein Project shows, which he'd written by himself, he had a collaborator for this show. And it was through Saturday Night that Sondheim learned he had a talent for mimicry. He didn't need to have personal experience with the world of the show. He just had to make the lyrics match the character's speaking style. This is a talent that has served Sondheim very well over the course of his career. The fact that Sondheim has been able to match the tone and style of his various collaborators over the years on a number of wildly different projects is part of what makes his shows so wonderful and unique. Another person Sondheim mimicked while writing Saturday Night was Frank Lesser. Lesser had actually turned down the project before Sondheim was brought on, and Sondheim was aware of that and knew that Lesser's style would indeed have been a good fit for the show. With these thoughts in the back of his mind, Lesser's influence found its way into Sondheim's subconscious, and the conversational yet nimble style of the Guys and Dolls lyricist helped give form to the show. The original production of Saturday Night was scrapped when the producer, Lemuel Ayers, died before the show's budget was raised. Which begs the question, how would Sondheim's career have been different if the show had gone on as planned? It's impossible to say whether the show would have been successful or not, but it might have made Sondheim even more hesitant to work on West Side Story, having already written both lyrics and music for a Broadway show. Without his work on West Side, he might have avoided being pegged as a lyricist, but it's also possible that he wouldn't have been sought after for the unconventional shows that made his career so groundbreaking. Saturday Night would have been a much more conventional debut than West Side Story, after all. But on the other hand, Sondheim was already acquainted with future partners in crime, like Arthur Lawrence and Hal Prince. And he is, after all, Stephen Sondheim. In all likelihood, Sondheim still would have spent the bulk of his career turning Broadway upside down. But eventually, the show was produced, first in London, then New York, giving theater companies a new Sondheim show to add to their reserve. The show is one of the few Sondheim musicals that features a cast of young characters, making it a good choice for student productions. In fact, the West Coast premiere of Saturday Night was performed by students at Carlsbad High School in 2001, under the direction of the lovely and talented Monica Hall. Working on Saturday Night gave Sondheim many things. It taught him how to work with a collaborator and gave him experience working on a professional show. He also walked away with a portfolio of songs to audition with, and this ultimately helped him get hired on West Side Story. 
The show was also his first experience dealing with disappointment, which, unfortunately, would come in handy again and again in his career. This has been Listen, I Made a Hat. For more information about this podcast, visit listenimadeahat.com. I want to thank George Abood and Monica Hall for contributing their thoughts and experiences, which were very helpful in writing this episode. Join us on November 1st, when we'll be discussing the world of strange and genre-bending covers of Sondheim songs. And the quote of the day is, In the movies, life is finer, life is cleaner. But in Brooklyn, it's a minor misdemeanor.